back there as well. You having a problem with your Samsung? No, <laughs> no Samsung's good. <laughs> Sorry, I do have that one. Okay. <clears throat> it's been a while since I've uh, been at this pulpit, so uh, if I'm a little bit rusty, then please forgive me. But um, we'll pray that uh, today's message would be a blessing to everyone here, and I'll try and speak up so that uh, Jean may be able to hear me clearly. Anyway, before we um, commence uh, the sermon, let's just open with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you again for this opportunity uh, where I could come and bring your message through to your people today, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you just give me clear um, speech, Lord, and Lord, we pray, Lord, that the hearts of everyone here today will, will be prepared to listen to this message that has uh, been prepared, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work through me, and um, that uh, you, your words would be uh, uh, spoken today, not mine. And uh, we pray that this uh, message will continue to bless everyone who hears this message, whether it be on through the, our website or even now today, Lord. And we, we pray that's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today's message. Um, I, I was struggling to find a title for the, today's message. And while I was sitting down there a little bit earlier uh, today, I was thinking um, probably an appropriate title would be something like can God reach everyone? Can God reach every single person on this earth? And we'll try and uh, answer that question today with today's message. Today's message has been a long time in coming. Um, I was asked the question by my sister a while back, quite a while back actually, but I never actually put pen to paper to write a sermon to answer the question that she asked. I pray that maybe today's sermon will be able to be a blessing for everyone here today. And it will answer the questions that many people who witness or test, uh, uh, go out there preaching gets from uh, unbelievers. There have been a few times when I've witnessed myself and tried to uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. And um, I normally get a question, which, uh, well, maybe a couple of questions. Uh, especially when I'm getting a little bit of, um, into the message and you can see conviction uh, taking place in the person. These, these questions come. Um, you know, the first question that normally happen would be is, um, what about the Amazonian Indians right out there in the bush, in the, in, in the middle of the jungle, who never heard about Christ? Will they be going to hell? Is he going to hell because he did not believe in Christ? The, the answer to question two is normally then will, will be is if they say you're going to go to hell because they don't believe in Christ is how can a righteous God condemn someone to hell who did not have the opportunity to hear about Jesus? Before, before I, I, I try and answer these questions from the word of God, I just want to point out a couple of insights. The first thing that happens when you are sharing the gospel with someone is one, that gospel message is having an effect on that person. That person knows that what you are saying is true, and they are under conviction from the Holy Spirit. The second point I want to point out, the person is trying to divert your attention from themselves, from making a decision for Christ, and trying to distract you, and to keep, uh, keep from the key point of them needing a saviour. The third point I want to also point out is that they are not ready 
or willing to accept Jesus as their Savior. But the questions that they ask are valid questions. You know, they are questions that, you know, even in our own selves, we might ponder on them sometimes. So let's get back to the questions. How do we go about answering these questions? One, uh, what about the Amazonian Indians right on the middle of the, the jungle, which are very remote, very difficult to get to? And um, secondly, is Jesus the only way to salvation? And third, and how can a righteous God then judge someone who hasn't heard about him? The one quote that is often used, which is people normally try to explain this, um, this um, problem that may appear, is normally found in Romans. So if we turn to Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 20 to 21, this is what normally people will, will try to use and explain um, how that the Amazonian uh, Indian is under the same judgment as us. And before God, they have um, no excuse. So let's look at um, Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says here, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in the imagination, imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Yes, you can use the scripture, and scripture is always true. You can use the scripture to explain that the creation around them points to God, that there is a creator, that he exists. Verse 21 clearly say, says that they knew God, but they rejected him. So they are without excuse. The answer to this question is, is true. But usually, when you point out this piece of scripture to someone who's not saved, it does not satisfy the unbeliever. And then tend to leave disappointed, as if the information was not enough. But if you actually read through the Bible, there are numerous examples which you can use to better answer this question, or these questions, and get the discussion back on track to that person's salvation. The examples I'm going to use today are not exhaustive. There are, are plenty more in the Bible. If you read through your Bible, you find there's a lot more examples that you can use. But today's sermon is there, is written, to help you witness better, and also to help you to get to search the Scriptures deeper, form more revelations from God, so that you may be able to grow in your own faith, in your personal growth, in the Bible. So, well, let's look at those questions again. Question one. What about the Amazonian Indian who has never heard about Jesus? Question two. Is he going to hell because he did not believe in Jesus? And question three. How can God condemn someone to hell who did not have the opportunity to hear about Jesus? Well, I'd like to answer question two first. Because it's probably the easiest to answer. Um, and so, for question two, let's turn to John chapter 14. And we'll read verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. 
This is a very common and uh, popular verse. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I also want to turn to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 12. We're going to be staying in Acts for a little bit today. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And it says here, very, very clearly, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. These scripture verses tell us clearly that there is no other name except Jesus through which we can be saved. No other name. Turn now to Acts chapter 16. And we're looking at verse 31. We're going to be flipping through our Bibles quite a lot today, so hope you keep your fingers all nimble. Acts chapter 16, and we're looking at verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. It says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you do not ha have faith in the finished work of Jesus, his death on the cross at Calvary, his burial, and his resurrection, you, you do not have eternal life. And the script, uh, scripture says that your destination is eternal hell. That answers question two very, very clearly, that there is only one name in the whole earth, under heaven, whereby man can be saved. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, getting back to our first uh, question one and question two. Question one and question two, uh, sorry, question one and question three. Question one and question three presupposes that the Amazonian Indian or some other remote tribe never got the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Hence, God is unrighteous to condemn them. And therefore, how can you believe in an unrighteous God? Question two is the easiest to answer, very, very clearly, as we said. You know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Well, let's look at a few examples. Look at Acts, um, turn back to Acts chapter 10. Our first example is going to be in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 23. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, and, one that, uh, uh, and which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth in one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtst to do. And when the angel which spoken unto Cornelius was departed, 
He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they were they made ready, he felt into, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, said Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again, uh, spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for, for Simon's house and stood before the gates. And called and asked whether Simon, which is surnamed, was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, not doubting, uh, uh, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore? ye are come. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned of God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear these um, hear words from thee. Alright, we'll just stop there at verse 22. Here, here we have a Gentile, Cornelius. He's non-Jew, who was seeking God. You can see clearly in the beginning part of the scripture that he was seeking after the truth. And he was trying to do everything physically in his own possible strength to uh, reach out to God. He was seeking Jesus, but he didn't know how to be saved. So what did God do to allow this man, Cornelius, and his family and friends to be saved? Well, one, first thing, God sent him a vision. Now, many times when we hear about visions, we think it's all vague and uncertain, but it's not vague or anything like that. If we actually look clearly at verse 5 and 6, we see here, now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what to do. It was very, very clear, very, very concise instructions on where to go. The the message that Cornelius received was perfectly direct. It directed him exactly where he had to go. The second part, or the second thing I want to point out is part um, is in verse verses nine to twenty. We won't go through the whole thing. The second part that we see here is that God prepared Peter by sending a vision to him as well. There was a vision of um, a cloth that came down, and um, there were unclean things, and God said that uh, what God hath cleansed. Call not thou common. So first, second thing is God was preparing Peter for this meeting of two men. 
The other thing as well, if you look at verses 19 and 20, while Peter uh, thought on this vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Again, God gave Peter a very, very clear message what he had to do. It is not vague, no, no chance involved, clear. God prepared both parties and arranged the meeting so that Cornelius and his family and friends could be saved. Now the question is, how far a distance is this? The distance from Cornelius in Joppa to Peter was about 50 kilometers. Okay? Well, so there, God has arranged a meeting for two men to meet so that Cornelius be saved. And later, as you reach further in Acts chapter 10, you see that Cornelius, his family, and friends get saved. So you might say to yourself, well, well, that's fine. God can arrange for two different parties to meet and get the good news to them. They spoke the same language. They spoke Greek or Hebrew, whatever language it may be. But they spoke the same language, the same area. What about the Amazonian Indian? He would not understand Greek. How, we, how, we, how would we be saved? Okay, well, let's again let's look at God's word. Let's turn back in Acts. Going back to Acts chapter 2. And we'll read from Acts chapter 2, from verses 1 to 12. Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, of, out of every nation under heaven. Now when the, this noise uh, was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speaking in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Gal Galileans? How, and how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthenons, and Medes, and Eliamites, and dwellers of, in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya, and Cyrene, and strangers, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful work of, works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one, to, uh, saying one to another, What meaneth this? This is a time of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. They had the boldness to preach the gospel. If you look at verses 7 to 11. Here we see clearly that all the people gathered was, was hearing the gospel message in their own language. The disciples were speaking in their native tongue, but the Holy Spirit allowed foreigners to hear the gospel message in their own language. The same thing God can do with our Amazonian Indian, as he previously did at Pentecost. He can translate the language which you speak 
into the language that the Amazonian Indian can understand and hear without any translator. God himself will be the translator. You might say again to yourself, well, that's fine. God can do the translation so that the Amazonian Indian can hear the message. But how would the disciple get to the Amazon, uh, Amazon in, uh, jungle? Again, the Bible has the answer for that exact question. Let's turn forward again to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse uh, 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasures and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place, the scripture, uh, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers. He opened not his mouth, uh, so opened he not his, uh, his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to, unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when, he, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, uh, and passed through, he preached to all the cities, so he came to Caesarea. <clears throat> there are again another couple of things I'd like to point out <clears throat> out of this example. Again, with the example of Cornelius, we see the Ethiopian eunuch seeking after God. Again, number two, we see the Lord preparing and told Philip to go to the eunuch directing him clearly to where he had to go. And as a result of this meeting, the eunuch was saved. There's another two points I want to point out from the story. One, the eunuch was saved, and he went home and shared the gospel with his people, his family, so that they could be saved. 
So if an Amazonian Indian had to meet, meet a believer and was saved, he would go home, share that same gospel message so that his family and that village could be saved. The second point I want to point out is God is not limited in any way by our perceptions of time, travel and space. Look at verse 39 and 40. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. When Philip came out of the water, he had disappeared. He vanished from the Ethiopian eunuch's sight, and he appeared in Azotus, which was about 55 kilometers away. Like that. Amazing, isn't it? This shows that God can transport someone very, very quickly to wherever they are needed if someone truly is searching after him so that they can be saved. Now, you might say that these examples are only in the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? How would someone be saved before Jesus came? Right. Okay. I'm going to go back in the Old Testament now. Turn back to the book of Jonah. Jonah. We go to Jonah chapter 1. And what I want to do is we're going to read verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 1. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Toshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Toshish from the presence of the Lord. First point we will point out in this uh, part of Scripture. Again, God has dedicated a person, Jonah, sending a message to him to go and preach his word to the Ninevites. But in this case, we see that Jonah disobeyed God and he wanted to run away. We see go, Jonah going in the opposite direction, in a boat. And we know the story of Jonah, how that there was a great storm that arose and that um, the men of, of, uh, of the boat found out that he was a prophet and they asked him, what should we do so we should be saved? And they said, he said, throw me overboard, throw me overboard and then you guys will be saved. So let's just look at verse, uh, turn down to verse 15. So we'll take it from where they're going to throw him overboard. So they said, so they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifices unto the Lord and made vows. First thing there, if we see very clearly that this was a testimony that God had saved these men on the boat. That even though Jonah had run away from God, 
God had arranged that these men came under conviction that they got saved from even Jonah's rebellion. You can see that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifices unto the Lord and made vows. So even though Jonah rebelled, but that's, that's just a side. Don't want to distract from the message, but let's look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In verse 17, we see that the Lord had prepared a great fish to prevent Jonah from drowning. Now, just to put this into picture, Joppa, I think from a little bit of research, is around about 900 k's away from Nineveh. All right? uh, I think uh, our brother Alan will be able to correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it's around about 900 k's from, from Nineveh. So, it's quite a great distance away. Just while you're here, let's just turn over to chapter uh, 2. And we look at verse 10. And it says, And the Lord spake to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah onto dry land. And now, Jonah was probably dropped off pretty close to Nineveh. And he was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. So God has used a fish to transport Jonah underwater from Joppa to near Nineveh. And if we look at um, verse chapter 3, um, verse 4, and we see, And Jonah began to enter the, into the city a day's journey, and he cried, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did you hear that message? Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the only message that Jonah said. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites at all. He really didn't. That's why he's running away from them, because he knew that God would be merciful to them. He ran away. But he said, all he went and he preached the words, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the gospel message that he, he preached. And just those few words that he preached, over 120,000 people were saved in Nineveh. If we read further on in, 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 in Jonah, we see that the Ninevites repented of this sin and they were saved. Again, two points I want to point out and highlight from this little story. One, God was preparing someone to preach the gospel. And that person was Jonah. Two, the second thing I want to point out is that God prepared a fish to transport a man across the seas to get the message to the lost. In the old days, God could have done the same thing. He could have prepared a great fish to transport a messenger with a gospel to the Amazonian, Amazonian Indians, as he did with Jonah, to share the good news. There are many, many, many more examples in the Bible if you we, if we really search for it. But I'm going to have one more. And the last one before the end of the sermon. So we'll turn back to kings. Two kings. Two kings. And we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 6 for now. 
2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the lands of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him in his, uh, of his leprosy. And one went in and told, this, uh, told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said to go, uh, Go to, go, and I'll send, thee a let, uh, send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. <clears throat> Here we have a very, very powerful man named Naaman, who was in charge of the army of the king of Syria. God had allowed this man to many great victories, but Naaman had a problem. He is a wonderful success. And there are many people in this world who have wonderful success, luxuries, and everything that you can think of. He had success, he had victories in this world. But the problem with Naaman was that he was a leper. Which the Bible relates to a sinner, unsaved. Naaman, with all his accomplishments, would have been an outcast. Even though he may have all these wonderful glories bestowed on him, he would still have to live apart, separated from other people. Because of his condition. He was seeking healing. And he wanted to be cured of his leprosy. He was seeking God to cure him. Not only from his physical. But also from his spiritual lost condition. The question we could ask yourself is. So who was the great missionary? Who got name and saved? Who was the great missionary? Look at verse 2 and verse 3. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and were brought away captive, had brought away, brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophets that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. <coughs> there was a little servant girl, probably a slave, who was there at the right place at the right time. And God put her there. Sometimes when we look at our lives and we see situations that don't seem that we can understand things, why we're here, it might be exactly as this little girl who was taken away captive into this master's house where she, he, she could present the gospel message to someone so that they may be saved. What did she do? What did this girl, this little girl, servant girl say? She pointed Naaman to Elisha, who was a prophet of God, who told Naaman the word of God. Let's just turn to uh, verses 17, and we'll read verse 7, uh, sorry, verse 7 to 19. <clears throat> verse 17 to 19. 
Verse 7 says, And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I, may I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in range. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith, unto, uh, saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh became again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God and, and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it. But he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there be not then, I pray thee, uh, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Oh, read verse 19 as well. Um, and he said unto, uh, and, and this thing the Lord pardoned, Oh, hang on. No, uh, yeah, sorry. This is the thing the Lord pardoned thy servant, that when thy, my master goeth into the house of Rimon to worship there, he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardoned thy servant for this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. <clears throat> when Naaman obeyed, God's words spoken by Elisha, he was healed. We read clearly in verses 15 to verses 19. Uh, 15 to 19. He returned to the man of God. Oh. There are many more examples in the Bible which we look at where God saves those who are diligently seeking him. These examples that I've shown here show that neither time nor location, nor language is a barrier to God. And that God is able to save anyone, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, 
provided they are truly seeking Him. The question I'm going to ask you today is, are you truly seeking the Lord at the moment, this moment? Or are you just asking questions to distract you from your true rebellion against God? Brother Eddie had a message the other day and he asked the question, is it easy to be saved? The answer that he came up with is, salvation is simple, but not easy. And I have to agree with him on this. The way of salvation is really, really simple. But to be saved is really hard. The rebellion in us makes it hard to be saved. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Sin is rebellion against God. We rebel against His commandments. We are rebels. We rebel in our hearts. And our hearts sin continually. But outwardly, we may look beautiful. Just as Christ said to the Pharisees, that they are whitewashed tombs, whitewashed sepulchre. Because outside everything looks perfect. But inside in our hearts, we sin continually. I want to look again, just look at, at, at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10 and 12, uh, 10 to 12. And it says here, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee. And thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Naaman had two choices. He could have rejected Elisha's words through his pride and rebellion and returned home, still a leper, and condemned to hell for all eternity. Or he could be obedient to the word of God, humble himself and be cleansed and saved. Naaman chose a path of submission and was saved. But he nearly did turn away. He was on his way away. But his servants said to him, would you, would you not do something great if, the, if the, the prophet of God told you to? And then he submitted. And he was saved. He was cleansed of his leprosy. And he was made whole. If you read clearly in verses 17 to 18, he was a saved man. He said that he would not offer any sacrifices to any other gods. And because of his duty, he would have to be in, in the house of Rimon. He asked pardon for that. He was a saved man. So the question you have to ask yourself is what about me? Have you heard the, you have heard the word of God plainly spoken today that you need to be saved, each and every one of you? The Bible says that, there are, that you are a sinner and that God, being a righteous God, has to judge you for your sin. You are destined to the lake of fire that burns for all eternity. There is no chance of escape. There is no parole, not like the prisons that we have here. There is no way of getting out of this. But God loved us so much that he did what, he, what we couldn't do for ourselves. He does not want you to go to the lake of fire. He doesn't want you to go to, to be away from him from all eternity. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, 
to die on the cross in your place for your payment, for your sin, so that you don't have to bear that burden yourself. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross at Calvary for you. He was buried for you. And three days later, he arose for you. Conquering sin and death. We all fear death. We're all going to die. But Christ is the only person to have conquered death and rise again. How do you get saved? How do you get saved? Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 4 verse 3 says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Salvation is simple. Don't let your pride get in the way as it almost did with Naaman where he did turn away but he turned back again. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, talk to someone here today before you go. Today may be your last chance. There were many people flying on the Malaysian Airlines MH370. Not one of them ever thought that that was going to be their last day. The ferry that sank in South Korea. There were kids, young people of all ages. Not one of them thought that was going to be their last journey. Even for us today, as we travel away and go home, no one knows if our journey on that car is going to be our last journey or not. No one knows the day or the time. Today the gospel has been clearly preached. Look at the salvation of your own soul. Don't worry about the Amazonian Indian. God can, that's God's job. He can take care of it. He can transport people there very, very easily. It's not as difficult for God to do. Why don't you believe in Jesus Christ today and have God count you righteous? Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow, today. Amen.